Selah. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your promised presence with us this morning. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And when we read this psalm, which I did not pick because it had the line about he who has clean hands in it. For we know that what you mean by that is you who practice righteousness. You who love the Lord and you love the word of the Lord. We who follow after Christ or give us clean hands so that we might dispel the works of darkness, that we might be protected from spiritual harm with the armor of God. So we thank you. And you tell us to lift up our heads. You are the king of glory forever and ever. And we thank you again for your presence with us as you have promised. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all continue. To chapter 12, by the way. Um, one of the things that happens when you go to Haiti is you make a lot of friends. And what we do these days when we make friends is we befriend them on Facebook. And a few of the people there have smartphones and have Facebook and so they they message you and um, talk to you and and it's it's pretty interesting you know it's how are you I am good how are you I am well how is your family it is well the Lord be with you in Jesus Christ the Lord it's like it's always the same thing it's it's a very neat thing and then there'll be other stuff but um, just talking with a couple of people um, through that medium through in um from Haiti, and they're praying for us. That's a really cool thing. And I said, and, they, and one guy I was talking to he said that you know he didn't want to go to Port-au-Prince, and I was like, thoughts, is, has there been an outbreak? There's been anybody um, sick there? He says, no, they haven't had any incidences yet. But Port-au-Prince is a difficult place. I was like, oh yeah, there are things to worry about other than the coronavirus. Um, but they're praying for us. I mean, they see and they're watching. And when I'm not going to be surprised if. I don't know how many, maybe it's decades from now or something, but that um, Haiti's going to be a Christian island and this country's going to be kind of dark and they're going to send missionaries to us and, um, and we're going to be doing everything we can to go to Haiti because it's beautiful and they're going to have their act together and everything. And, and then, um, you know, just what kind of example are we setting? So, you know, as we do this, as you post things on social media, um, the world sees that. It's kind of amazing. You know, I mean, you think, you know, we're just here in Albemarle, but, um, you know, I also understand that people with Facebook and Twitter think they have an over-realized sense of importance, and they are speaking to the entire world, and everyone will listen to you. So, no, not that, but there are the occasional people. I get people who like these videos that we do here, and it, I don't. I guess that are watching in like Muslim countries or you know far third world country, different places around the world. Um, I don't know whether they actually watch or not, but you know you, this goes out. Um, what you say goes out, and it may just be in your small circle. It may be a larger circle, but but God uses all of those things. So um, it's very important how we express a Christ-like faith um, everywhere we go and with everything we say. But the people are Haiti, of Haiti, the, the, my friends, people that we know there, are praying for us, and that should give us great comfort because those people pray. So um, they've developed it in hardship. We've developed it in affluence, which can be done. Christ can do all things. Um, he, uh, what, What's that verse about... Um, 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's talking about that, poverty or wealth, you know? So both can be used by Satan, but they're also both used by God. So let us be found in faith. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 12 and 13. So let's pray first. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for um, being able to come together and, and worship uh, churches, some churches today, you know, great big old churches. Um, well, sometimes there's an advantage of being small, and this is one of them. It's like we get to gather, um, so we thank you. We pray for those churches who, who can't meet today. And they're doing, And thank you for technology. I mean, people are able to still uh, hear and, and participate, you know, even though they're not there. Um, it's not ever, so hopefully never does the world begin to think this is how you can do church. Uh, we don't even have to go and gather physically together because physical presence is important. It was a ministry of Christ, physical presence. So we're thankful that um, in this country, when we're not going through, you know, sometimes it's um, an ice storm and we can't gather together. Sometimes it's a, it's a hurricane or a tornado or sometimes it's an illness. Um, so in times when we can't gather together, we're thankful you know, they were able to actually hear the word preached and even gather together on these technologies. And if we couldn't, we can pray and um, know that we're singing hymns together and praying together and that um, we're spiritually united no matter where we may be. So help us to remember. Even these times, Lord, people who, who are shut in, who they, they, because of age and infirmity, they can't get out. So if there's people who are missing church today and, they, and they, maybe they feel, and if maybe some people have to miss church for, you know, a little bit longer, that um, they help us to have empathy for people who can't ever go. That we would seek out ways to incorporate people. And that one day we may be in such a situation, if we should live long enough and, and the Lord tarries, that you tarry, that and we may find ourselves too in a shut-in situation, maybe for years. So help us to treat other people the way we'd want to be treated if we were in that situation. And this might give us a taste of it. So, Lord, there's things to learn. There's faith to be grown. Uh, we thank you. And just pray we won't go through this sinfully, but we'll go through this well. And as we come to your word, Lord, speak to us, as I believe you are. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I started to prepare for this sermon, I was thinking, okay, well, what do you preach under such a time as this? You know, where would I go and what would I preach? And so, you know, what would you look up and where would you get it? And then I was sort of, in my mind, I was sort of like, that's not, that's not what you usually talk about. You usually say you preach through the Word of God and it covers everything. So I'm just going to keep preaching through the Word of God. So I, then I was thinking this before I actually opened up again and read chapter 12 and 13 and said, all right, let me read chapters 12 and let me read chapter 12. It was actually what I was thinking. So I read chapter 12, and it's like, you got to kind of go to chapter 13. And you go to chapter 13, it's like, okay, that's kind of long stuff in their guide. There's a lot of tedious stuff in their guide. There's a lot of repetition in their guide. This isn't the one that, um, you know, if somebody gets to hear that one sermon, I was thinking about something a little bit, you know, uh, flashier or <laughs> kind of grab somebody, and it's like, you know, and that's the way pastors think sometimes when you're sitting there trying to figure out, what are you going to preach? And so basically, you know, what I heard was, you know, preach the word, dig into it, find what's there. There's application. You can't tell me that as if I have this actual conversation with God in some way, but it's like, you know, I know that there's stuff in here. There's nuggets. And so I dig into it. And um, yeah, I mean, this is just, it's interesting when you preach through the Bible. I never would have picked, you know, let me think, what am I going to preach? I know. 
Joshua 12 and 13. That's where I go. But now I would. So listen to the word of God. It, it, it's, it's, it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. All of it. And profitable for teaching and for righteousness. I'm not going to read every word of it. Um, because some of it is repetitious. And, but I want you to go home and read every bit of it. And I want you to realize the repetition is there for a purpose and a reason. So we're going to look at that. So I'm going to read parts of it, and then we'll um, talk about it, and we'll, we'll get through this. So the word of the Lord. <clears throat> now these things, now these are the kings of the land whom the people of Israel defeated and took possession of their land beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. Okay, so we're looking... Um, toward the sun so you're headed to the west they're going over um it's on, on the jordan and so we have to really go back one verse so if you look at chapter 11 verse 23 because this is the situation where they are so joshua took the whole land okay israel has come over all the you know they've been escaped from egypt the red sea all this has happened they fought all these battles now uh, they've taken the land for the most part he took the whole land according to all that the lord had spoken to moses so there's the faithfulness of god there and joshua gave it for an inheritance to israel as he was told to do they're inheriting the land according to their tribal allotments and the land had rest from war so this is their situation. And now what God's doing through Joshua recording this is rehearsing what had happened. And the first part is Moses and what he did and the land that they defeated under him. So it was on the other side of the Jordan because they hadn't crossed in yet. Remember, Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. But Joshua does. And then Joshua goes in and, and he takes the land and that's the second part of chapter 12. But if you look again, 12.1, These are the kings of the land whom the people of Israel defeated and took possession of their land beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise from the valley of the Arnon to Mount Hermon with all the Arabah eastward. Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon and ruled from Arera, where which is on the edge of the valley of Ammon, and from the middle of the valley as far as the river Jabbok, the boundary of the Ammonites, that is half of Gilead, and the Araba from the sea of Chinneroth eastward, and in the direction of Beth Jemishoth, the Shimoth, to the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, toward the foot of the slopes of Pisgah, and Og, king of Bashan, one of the remnant of the Rephaim, who lived at Ashtaroth, and at Adrei, and ruled over Mount Hermon, at Silicah, and at Bashan, to the boundary of the Geshurites, and the Machahites, and over half of Gilead, to the boundary of Sihon, king of Heshbon, Moses, the servant of the Lord and the people of Israel defeated them. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave their land for possession to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So you can kind of see you know, a little bit of repetition in there. And when you're doing your read-through in the Bible, it's easy to kind of you skip through that. And then you end up skipping over Moses, the servant of the Lord, repeated twice. It's important obedience is important and the people defeated all these kings but think of this if you had been involved in that army and now you're reading about it that's that's a big deal i know these people i fought in those battles my daddy fought there 
God fought for us there. We lived it. We saw it. And it's recorded forever in Scripture. And that's important. Individual um, victories that God has done. And so what we do in our lives is we'll thank God sometimes for, thank you for our blessings. Thank you for all my blessings. So what you need to do is that. But then, especially when you're having times of difficulty or whatever, is start listing them. What particular blessings are you talking about, man? You know, so what, you know, thank you, God, for. And you'll just, if you pray prayers of blessing and thanksgiving to God, you can be on your knees forever. Thank you for every breath I took. Thank you for this prayer. Thank you for the fact that, you know, we're able to be gathered together. Thank you that my heart's still beating. Thank you. I mean, you could just go on and on and on and with your thanksgivings and the blessings. And then think about times in your life where you should have been dead. You know, if you live long enough, you, those things can kind of come to your mind. Thank you for times where if you had gotten the things that you asked God for, you would have ruined the world possibly, <laughs> at least your life. You know, thank you for not uh, heeding to my every request. You know, thank you for growing me. Thank you for not, I mean, you know, I'm thankful that a lot of my sermons in my beginning years that I, I seem to have lost them. I'm okay with that, you know, but you, he used those things. And he uses us, and thankful that he uses us. Thankful that, you know, you can just, these things should be foremost in our hearts and our minds and our lips so that when new things come up, we're like, you've blessed us. You've done these things. Individually, I know about these things. And then it gets to, what about Joshua? In verse 7, and these are the kings of the land whom Joshua and the people of Israel defeated on the west side of the Jordan, from Baal God in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak that rises towards Seir. And Joshua gave their land to the tribes as a possession according to their allotments. Now it repeats the same thing it just said under Moses. So what Joshua is doing is continuing the work of Moses. And what our Lord is doing through the church is continuing this work too. It's just a bit of an expanded mission that the church has throughout the entire world now, actually bringing people in to the kingdom. Um, in the hill country, verse 8, in the hill country, in the lowland, in the Arabah, in the slopes of the wilderness of the Negev, the land of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, the king of Jericho, one, the king of Ai, which is beside Bethel, one, the king of Jerusalem, one, the king of Hebron, one, the king of Jarmuth, one, the king of Lachish, one, the king of Eglon, one, the king of Gezer, one, the king of Debir, one. The king of Hormah, one. The king of Arad, one. The king of Libna, one. The king of Adullam, one. The king of Mechida, one. The king of Bethel, one. The king of Tepa, one. The king of Hefer, one. The king of Aphek, one. The king of Leshara, uh, one. The king of Madon, one. The king of Hazar, one. The king of Shepharim, one. The king of Asher, one. The king of Tanakh, one. The king of Megiddo, one. The king of Kadesh, one. The king of Jacob, Caramel, one. The king of Ador, Naphraim, one. The king of Goim, Galilee, one. The king of Tizra, one. In all, thirty kings I can promise you I did not pronounce all of those properly but that's the way I think it should be read and then it should be read slowly too and if you were there and you knew these kings and you knew these battles then you would see what God's doing at work and when you hear it read like that look at what he's done these are kings entire peoples that he defeated through his people. There is no enemy too large. There is no enemy too small. There is no church too large, too small 
God spoke to, I think it was Jonathan, that said, is the Lord hindered from winning by many or by few? Is he hindered from winning by many or by few? So our size has nothing to do with our power. Then verse 13, chapter 13. Now, no, just, okay, rehearsed everything that's happened. The victories of God, the, the wonderful obedience of Joshua and Moses and all these things that have happened. And then you get to 13. Now Joshua well, was old and advanced in years. I just got to say this. I probably shouldn't. Sometimes the Bible makes me smile and laugh a little bit because I love the way this is worded. <laughs> now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you were old and advanced in years. It's like, it's a Hebrew thing where they kind of repeat something to make a point, but it sounds funny to us. The Lord, you know, so anyway, I just, I read that and I was like, that's funny. But the point is, he was old and he was advanced in years. I think he dies at 110 years old, we're told later. So he was old and he was advanced in years. And the Lord said to him this, and, and he says, and there remains very much land to possess. Now, if anybody in here is old and advanced in years, now some of our older people advanced in years have wisely stayed home. So now our most elder statesman, I guess, is Stan. <laughs> How's it feel? Do you feel like there's still much land to win? Or is it all done? Yeah. It's exhausting, he says. Yeah. And, um, but you don't have to be very old to feel that way, you know. And so one of the things I think, you know, Christmas, the world kind of looks at the star, the lights, the birth, God. You know, it's like if it's low-hanging fruit. So if you don't talk about Christmas at Christmas time as a church, you're kind of missing some good opportunities. Easter's coming up, and what's everybody think about Easter? The daggum Easter bunny, but. You know, and chocolate and candy and all these things. It's like, but what is it really? And that's where we have opportunities. The risen Lord and Savior. Um, somebody, Tony Hopkins donated some crosses he had made out of cherry. And it was, um, it's just a plain cross. And, and I was like, I don't know, anybody buying any of the crosses? And I think Christina said, yeah. You know, people are having trouble finding just plain crosses. You know, I mean, just something that's not all ornate and everything like this. I'm not saying you should go out and buy crosses, but it's like um, you sure don't find trouble finding Easter bunny. <laughs> I mean, I think, when do they start selling that stuff on the shelves? I don't know, like Halloween or something? I don't know. So it's, it's like, <laughs> yeah, after Christmas. So anyway, it's like, tell people about the point of it. The risen Lord and Savior, he lives, he grows, there's, there's, he, he's still alive. He died, he conquered the grave, he lived a perfect life for us, he died in our place, he, he um, um, was risen on the third day for our justification so that whoever believes in him, we won't perish, but we'll have everlasting life. This is, these are the things God did, and this is Easter, low-hanging fruit. You know, I'm just thinking, okay, is there any low-hanging fruit today? Is there anything in the news that people are talking about a lot? And I can't really think of much right now, but there has to be something that we could possibly use to be able to say, this is low-hanging fruit. What are we worried about? Not that we're, I mean, some people are worried that they're advanced in years. But at the essence, all of us is a little bit concerned about how much more time do I have? Everybody's thinking about it. 
what if I'm one of those who die? That's a very good thing to think. The Bible says, teach us a prayer to God at one point. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to realize that our time is short, that we're but a vapor. Um, there's, there's a couple things that goes on culturally. One is people who um, are thinking they're, they're going to die any moment. And then another are people who don't think they're going to die from anything. Um, the people in the first group may be right, but the people, in the, you're going to die from something. None of us are getting out of here alive unless the Lord comes back and, the, and that's it. And the Bible says it's appointed to man once to die, and after that, the judgment. That's the important part, what happens afterwards. If we have faith in the resurrection, if we have faith in the God of the Bible, um, I think we'd go through this, I think we do have faith, but it's imagine as you had exponentially more faith. Like you were so convinced of our resurrection one day in heaven that we will be absent from the body as we present with the Lord and we'll be with him forever. And you just knew it. I mean, no doubt, none at all. How different would you go through things? And so I think that's what we need to be going through. But we're here with Joshua. Advanced in years and there's still much to do. So I think one of the things we should do is we should um, use this time to sort of say, all right, let's say we don't make it out of this. How do we do? I mean, that's it. What if this is it? That's it. How'd you do? You know, I think most of us think, okay, how old you are? You got more time to do. But the older you get, the more you look back and you have regrets. But there's more time. But I'm just saying, you know, it's something to think about. Right now, how'd you do? And then the next thing I think we need to think is, one, you're still here. How are you doing right now? How are you going to do in the next five minutes? What are you going to do in the next however much time you have left that the Lord gives us to live for him? That the Lord gives us where we're supposed to glorify him and we're supposed to enjoy him forever. We're supposed to tell other people about him. We're supposed to help other people. We're supposed to have the mind of Christ who... Um, he thought of others as more important than himself. To give ourselves to death for the faith. I'm not saying you have to go out and try to die, but you're not you willing to. You know, I mean, it's, how are you doing? How good do you feel about what you've done so far? And um, if anybody's giving yourselves an A++++, it's like, stop it. Um, we can all do better. And we all hopefully will pray to do better. So let's see Joshua here. He's like, there's still a lot of land to possess. Verse 2, this is the land that yet remains. Okay? So we got all this stuff that, that we did. This is land that remains. All the regions of the Philistines. All those of the Gershites. From the Shihor, which is the east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron, it is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of Philistine. Those of Geza, Ashdod, Asherah, Gath, and Ekron. And those of the Avim in the south, in the land of the Canaanites, in the Marah that belongs in the Sidians, in the Aphek, the boundary, the dun, the dun, the dun, the dun. What's your list? What remains? Bum, 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 bum. That's a lot. So we need to make the most of our time. But then he gets to verse 6. All the inhabitants of the hill country, from Lebanon to Marishvat, Maim, even to the Sidonians, and then God is speaking, and he says, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. 
only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. He's like, I'm going to drive them out. Will you please just keep doling it out as I've said? That's all, that's all you've got to do. Just this is yours and that's yours and this is yours. Just tell the people what I've promised and give it to them. I'm going to defeat these people. So as we sit here and we're like, what have I done? Okay, depends on how harsh you want to be on yourself. But as we look forward, what, still, what are the possibilities for us? God is saying, and this is a theme in Numbers and Joshua, I'm already there. I'm there. You need to go in the strength of my might. You need to go in faith. I'm there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win these battles for you. I just need for you just to do the little things I've told you to do as we go. And I say little things. Because my mama, my, everything's little, my mom, A little bank, a little church, a little this, a little that. So I have a bad habit of saying, you know, it's just a little thing. Um, but what is it for us? And God's I'm with you. That's a New Testament promise. Behold, I am with you even to the ends, Even to the ends of the age. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, these things are, that's our commission. And whether you're actively out doing that or you're praying for people to do that or you're supporting for people to do that, make sure that you're doing what the Lord has called you to do. And you aren't just doing something to get out of something or you're doing something because you're afraid of this or you're sick sitting here because you don't have enough love for people. And um, I'm convinced we look at the, the great amount of wealth in the American church, the great amount of Christians in the American church, the great amount of talent God has given to the American church, that we're under terrible judgment because we sit on our hands and our purses and we don't do anything when the rest, many people, many Christians in the world are perishing. And, and we have all the resources available that we could fix stuff. And what's our problem? Because we want the stupid government to do it. You know, I don't mean to call the government stupid. Instituted by God, I just mean <laughs> that why are you waiting on the government to do it? And then we're going to complain about the church. Be the church. Do the church. Everybody wants revival. Revive. Arise, my soul, arise. It, how many people does it take to, to go out and start these things? It's just, you know, much as it depends on, on you, on me, let us do these do these things and we should be convicted and I'm not trying to preach a sermon where I'm trying to make everybody feel guilty but I want you to feel like man there's stuff to do there's a lot to do and this is not about comfort it's not about the American dream it's not about making sure I live as long as I possibly can I mean is that what you want to say before God and he says before you know you know what'd you do with what I gave you I exceeded my life by 20 years beyond what anybody thought I possibly could well, you're here now. <laughs> what what'd you do with what the extra 20 years you had? What'd you do with it? No, no. You know, it's like, I don't know. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, next. You know, I mean, it would, you want to be able to say, God, I didn't do nearly enough. I repent, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And you want and tears and you recognize and you know. And then hopefully he he lifts up your head and he wipes away your tears and he says, Whenever you did it to the least of these my brothers, you did it unto me. Well done, good, faithful servant. And then you're just gonna be like <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow. And that's, that's what we want. So I think the way you get that is you humbly serve now. 
and and you can't go by the world. You can't go by everything. The, the system of this world is designed to build itself up, elevate itself. We're the best. We're number one. We're undefeated. We we're the big. You know these things. You got to strive for greatness. You have to. Sometimes you got to push people out of your way. All these things. And that's the way Satan tried to elevate himself above God. But what Jesus did is he humbled himself, took the form of a servant. He thought of other people as more important than himself. He, he, he humbled himself to the point of death on the cross, which was a curse, a curse at death at the cross for the joy that was set before him, the salvation of many brothers and sisters. And so that's how we're to, to think about these things. And then when you get to um, chapter 8, and really through the end of this chapter, it goes through enlisting of the people of God and the allotments that they get. But if you look at verse 22, our little buddy Balaam shows up again, the guy that had the talking donkey and um, couldn't do anything because God kept stopping him from cursing Israel. And then finally he finds a way to entice Israel with prostitutes and, and almost destroys the nation by seeing their sinful weakness in this and drawing them to it. Um, but verse 22, Balaam also, the son of Baor, the one who practiced divination, was killed with the sword of the people of Israel among the rest of their slain. So he was brought out, and, you know, not many individual people other than kings are listed here, but, you know, Balaam, God defends his church. God defends his people, um, and this is a good thing. So as we look through this, too, I think a place we need to go is, let me find where I want to, I kind of went off pages here. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. Because I want us to see just briefly here the example Christ has given us and how he's told us to go. New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. 12 through 16 here. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, the word work out there means to, to have an outworking of your faith. Okay, it's not like I got to try to figure this out. Let me work out whether I'm saved or not. It is, there should be an outworking of our faith. There should be, if you have faith, James talks about this, you know, you show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. So if you were to be judged just on your works and in a way that is to demonstrate the faith that you had. So if you want to say, I have faith, okay, what have you done with it? Because we can all fool ourselves into thinking that we have great faith. I'm a man of great faith. All right, how did it manifest itself? It's a good way of looking at it. You know, what's my faith produced You've got to be careful about judging yourself based on works. You've got to make sure your faith is in Christ. We are saved by works, but it's the works of Jesus Christ that saves us. You've got to be careful about those things. And yet, you also have to be careful about saying, I believe and that's all that matters and it doesn't matter how I live my life. Well, the way you live your life is an indication of what you believe. So you have to do that. So there should be an outworking of your salvation with fear and trembling because... Just like in the Old Testament with Joshua, God's the one at work in you. He's at work 
to cause you to will to do things. And he's at work to cause you to work in things. And it's for his good pleasure. Everything we do is to be for his good pleasure. And he says, do all things without grumbling and questioning. So there's a conviction for all of us. But in John 13, 6, God says, I myself will drive them out. In Joshua 13, 6, he says, I myself will drive them out before you. In Philippians um, 2, 43, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work. And then Jesus says, I will build my church. So that Jesus, even in the midst of a global pandemic, is building his church. There's a, a, the Simpsons movie. Not necessarily recommending it, but there's a scene in it that I think is really one of the funniest things I've seen. There's a church and there's a bar. And they're pretty much right next to each other. And um, everybody's in there. The end of the world is announced. It's a coming. Everybody in the church leaves and goes to the bar. Everybody in the bar leaves and goes to church. <laughs> I think it's like, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, let that not be us, you know, that we leave and go go drinking. You know, and the people that are out there drinking and partying like, we need to go to church. Yeah, hopefully that would happen. But it's just, you know, when you panic, what you really trust in, what your foundation is, is going to come to light. All things are still working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And the question for us is, will we shine as lights? And how do we do it? First, we preach the gospel. We don't fear death. We long to be with the Lord, but we stay to please him and to bring others to salvation. So we have to examine ourselves and say, what keeps me clinging to this life so tenaciously that I am fearful enough to buy all the toilet paper and it depends on your age and your spiritual maturity but that which you fear to lose in death is your functional guide so you have to think a lot about that it can be your career your children life itself and our question should be how can I most glorify God in this current situation and we must ask and answer this question who is the God of this world who is the God of this world? Is it God? Is it man? Or is it Satan? So, last place we're going. Acts chapter 17. This is um, Paul's Areopagus speech. The uh, Mars Hill speech that he does um, in Greece. And he's um, Acts 17 verse 22. He's in this place, and he describes it very well. He says, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. So, you know, he makes me think, let's say some alien person is coming here, and they're passing along, and they're like, what are the objects of these people's worship? And I think, you know, sports, huge arenas, lots of money, lots of people miss church, you know, because of sports. You know, sports, health. Yeah, I see lots of new buildings going up, but beautiful buildings. And usually there's something to do with health care. 
You know, there's lots of money in that stuff. Lots of money in that. And why? Because we'll pay anything to be well. And then I think you could say money. Banks. We worship. I mean, it says right there on our money, and God we trust. You know, you got to wonder, is that talking about that dollar bill itself or, or what? And then our children. We worship our children a lot of times. Most advertising is geared towards your children or your grandchildren, not you. The millennial generation, you is old now. Okay? There's a generation X that's starting to get all these new things. And where are they getting their money from? They don't have jobs. They figured out how to work that, that E-Trade Baby app thing or something finally and making all this money. Uh-uh. Because parents. My children have to be happy. They have to know I love them. They have to have everything they want. It's demonic to worship your children. Grandchildren. Great-grandchildren. Let them know who you worship. And let them know, for me and my house, we serve the Lord. That's the best thing you can do for your children. And your banks need to know that. Your hospitals need to know that. And your sporting teams need to know that. Corona is serious. But people are in a panic. And we cannot be. So Paul sees this thing in verse 23. He sees, I pass along. And I saw an object of your worship. It was inscribed with, it says, to the unknown God. Therefore, what you worship is unknown. I'm going to proclaim it to you. So he's going to tell us who God is. The God who made the world. This is it. This is what we tell people. You know what? God made this world. What about viruses? Oh, yeah. Think about that. Oh, wait. Everything in it. God made the world. Everything in it. God made the world. Everything in it. If you can't remember anything else, remember that. God made the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gave to all mankind life and breath and, I love how Paul does this sometimes, everything. <laughs> life, breath, everything. Everything. What about that? Everything. Well, not everything. Life, breath, and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having predetermined allotted periods and the boundaries of the dwelling place that's what joshua was doing with his people and that's what god continues to do with his people when i get to haiti and i see poor people i have to think and i have to know god put that person and made them be born here i was born here what's my responsibility to that person and then they need to think, what's their responsibility to me? How do they serve me? How do I serve them? But we are where we are, and we are when we are, because this is where God has placed us for such a time as this. How you respond before the living God is, says about your faith, and we're to respond with faith. 27, that they should seek God. This is why he's put us here, so we can seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him, yet he's actually not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. 
But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went on from their midst. Some men joined him and believed. And among them were these people that they mentioned. So some people will mock and some people will listen. But we worship the God who made the world and everything in it. We worship the God who has given us life and breath and everything. And we are to proclaim him. So again, I think we must ask ourselves, how are we doing? There's still a lot to do. And God is still at work. And if you don't know Christ, you need to acknowledge his authority, acknowledge your sin, bow the knee, trust in him, and turn to him for life. And then believers, we need to be comforting others that are around us. And we need to, to lead them in such a way that they ask us about our peace. You know, it's just one of the things, and I'll end with this, um, in, in Haiti, it's like there's all this chaos going on, and I'm working with the two dentists. They're pulling teeth. <laughs> Man, it's just thank God for anesthesia. And it, there's all these people that are like yelling at each other. It's crowds of people, and they're yelling at each other because they're, they're learning. You know, if you don't get in, you might not get anything. They didn't realize they were all going. Today, it, we're not going home till everybody, every last person has been helped. They don't experience that a lot. So you tend to, you know, I can understand it. So the dentist, though, all they see is this tooth that won't come out. And so I'm sitting here, it's like, what do I do? I can't pull the tooth. I mean, I guess I could, but no. And I'm, you know, I'm holding somebody's head. And it's like, okay. So sometimes I was rubbing somebody's neck a little bit. Like you can tell they're nervous. And it's like, okay, and I'm holding the head. And so I just started seeing, you know, there's not really, it sounds loud, but it's not really a lot going on out there. They're just sort of yelling at each other some, but nobody's, no, like, it's under control. Nobody's in danger or anything. Everybody's just sort of, you know, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Well, yeah, we'll pray, you know. And then, I, I mean, I just did it because I'm not blowing my horn or anything. You'd have done the same thing. But afterwards, the, you know, you feel inadequate because, you know, I didn't pull hundreds of teeth. Um, and they said, you're such a calming influence. You know, that's, that's, I always remember that as a lesson for us now. It's like, be that. You know, and I'm, I'm not saying that there aren't a bunch of people out there yelling, but I'm saying they're, we're okay, though. You don't need to worry about this right now. You're, you do what you're doing, and, and God's got this, and we're okay. Um, you know, honest, true speech from God that's going to be okay. And being okay means you might die from this, <laughs> you know. But you're going to be okay. We'll, we'll get through this. Whatever happens, it's of the Lord. And, and that calmness, how can you be calm about that? Well, I'm, you know, it, it, it's difficult for me. I want to be here. There are things. I remember being young and thinking, I want to be able to see my children graduate high school. I want to be able to see my children graduate college. I want to see my children getting married. I want to see grandchildren. I want to see, I want to see that I love them so much. I want to see this stuff. And I was heartbroken because Saddam Hussein was going to cause the end of the world. And 
unless I was not told about it. He didn't, you know, and so, and here we still are. And, but I, I was, it was a bad place for my faith. So you had to be careful about these things and speak peace to these things. Second Corinthians tells us Satan is the God of this world. Ephesians 2 calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. In Revelation chapters 12, it tells us that he's defeated. He's defeated. So we fight a defeated foe. Resist the devil, he flees from you. Prayer is powerful and effective. We shine like lights, dispelling the darkness. In the midst of leprosy or whatever, we don't live like those who have no faith. And we need to be examples of a wise and confident shalom of peace in the midst of people just losing their minds. <laughs> it's crazy, you know. It's not, I mean, it's not that bad. If the worst thing that happens to us is we can't buy toilet paper and hand sanitizer, sometimes we want to at the grocery store, then we're doing all right. But um, I don't know what's coming. God knows. He's there. He's got it. You're going to be okay. We pray. We, we're wise. We we listen to what people say and we trust in the Lord and we use this as an opportunity to help spread the gospel and God's got a reason and a purpose for this and you know I guess that's all I've got to say about that let's pray Father God um, what times we live in uh, amazing the new things that come up and happen but this is something the world I mean, we live in such a time of comfort and peace that we can't even imagine. Black plague, millions of people. I mean, this is not even having a clue what causes it. Not a clue. So, Lord, but we even know that our battles aren't against flesh and blood. It's, not, it's, it's spiritual battles. So, Lord, I pray your church will grow through this deeper and wider, that we'd be examples of peace wise counsel but peace we thank you that you love us and you care for us and no matter what we go through god we're yours help us not to judge you by outward circumstances but help us to walk by faith and not by sight you're awesome you are beyond anything we can imagine we'll spend an eternity with you and right now counts for forever i pray for my people they'd be huge their faith would just grow and grow and grow because that's the most valuable thing we have far more valuable than toilet paper we thank you and pray for your spirit's presence of a peace that surpasses understanding and when we get up and walk away from here we don't turn back to fear but we carry this into our world and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.